I'm a little uncomfortable this morning because God just completely went a different direction. And that's what we, we, we want God's direction. I'm not really interested in my ideas. I want, I want God's direction. Amen. And so this is, this is going to be hot off the griddle. And I believe it's for somebody because everything that God has is intended for a human being or an audience. And so here we go in Jesus' name. John chapter number two. John chapter number two. To those of you that recently moved here from California, we are as shocked with the cold weather as you are. And some of you are probably thinking, you know, this was such a lovely place two months ago. What happened? Um, we are experiencing like January weather. However, oftentimes that means we're going to have an early spring. So just hunker down, start a praise blaze, get out the games. And it won't be near as bad as you think it's going to be. Somebody said amen. Now, I was, a, I was born and raised in California, and my first winter here, <clears throat> I was thinking, am I blessed or am I cursed? But I can honestly tell you today, I feel very, very blessed. I'm glad I stuck around. I feel so very, very blessed. John chapter number 2 familiar passage of scripture here today John chapter number 2 and we're going to start reading in verse number 3 then we're going to jump to verse number 7 and when they wanted wine the mother of Jesus saith unto him they have no wine really what it means is they had ran out of wine they had wine but in the celebration at Cana they ran out skipping down to verse number 7 and Jesus saith unto them fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim and he saith unto them draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast and they bear it and when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But that was kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now I really um, 
I really have a homiletical approach to putting a message together, but I have just not even had the time to do that. So I'm just going to give this to you pretty much like God gave it to me. Saving the best for last. Let's put our Bibles down. And let's pray. Since this is, I really feel like God's going to do something. So let's all pray together. Let's all, let's all pray with expectation. I, I, I want God to do something. I want God to, to manifest himself in a genuine, special way. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. Thank you for the promises of God that are yea and amen. I know that you determined this to be preached this morning. And so I, I also pray for the preparation of many hearts and many lives to receive the word of God here today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Right before you're seated, why don't you shake your neighbor's hand and say, I'm glad you're sitting by me today. And then you may be seated. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus violates ceremonial protocol, not that it was law, but by the words of the governor of the feast, Jesus purposely violates this, I'll, I'll just call it protocol, because there was a way that things were done, not according to the Old Testament as a ceremonial law or a procedural representation in the Old Testament, but just the way that they, they did things. In fact, Jesus said, I want you to serve the highest ranking civil member here, a part of the aristocracy, and I want him to be the very first partaker of this. And um, you know the story. It just kind of unfolds here in front of us that Jesus saw that there were six water pots. This was the purifying of this newlywed couple um, in whom the celebration was for, part of the purification. And Jesus said, we're going to use this to do a miracle. And so Jesus told the servants to fill the water pots to the brim and then draw out and bear unto the governor of the feast. And then it would go to everybody else. 
And the Bible says in verse number nine, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not how that transpired, of course, the servants did. Here in your Bible, it's in parentheses. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. He wanted to pay him a special compliment. And this is what he said. Every man at the beginning, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. There is a reason why Jesus did this. Because I really do believe, and I hope to prove that scripturally in our short time together here today, that God really does save the best for last. And sometimes God will put a question in my heart, a rhetorical question, and it will be my part, my responsibility in this, in this agreement that God and I have. I, he called me and he expects me to do my part, that I have to dig things out. And as I start digging things out, God starts shedding more illumination so that I can pick that and pull that and bring that together. But when I was first posed with that question, I didn't have an answer. I did not have a theological, ready-made, tailor-made answer if God really saves the best for last. And you know, sometimes we're, we as apostolic people, we're, we have an incredible doctrinal, fundamental doctrinal comprehension of the scriptures. In fact, um, I think that we're out of out of all of the out of all of the Christocentric groups in the world. I believe that we're probably more versed in our doctrine and what we really believe as a group. There's denominational people all over the world that couldn't even tell you what their articles of faith, what their statement of faith believes, and that's not a slam. It's just it's just where we are in the world today. There's a shortage of hunger for the word of God. But as apostolic people, we, we have a tendency to understand what, the, what our doctrine is and what the Bible is saying and, and, and all of that. And I think that that's healthy. But there is a world of understanding, of networking scriptures together that God really wants to do for us if we will continue to venture out of just the bottom line fundamental doctrines into some of the great themes of the word of God. And I said all that to say that when I was posed with that question in my heart, I did not have a ready-made answer. But I believe I have an answer now. Because what you are seeing here in John chapter number two is the protocol was that it in the introduction of the celebration before there is well-worn libations and celebrations, 
that the best wine goes forth. And when people's taste buds have been deadened by the good wine, you can bring out wine that is inferior and nobody will be able to tell the difference. But the governor of the feast is surprised that you waited this long into the celebration to bring out the very best. And I believe, whereas this is the beginning of miracles for Jesus, that God really does save the best for last. There is an audience before me here today that probably has a multiplicity of issues and situations and some things, if you're a member of this church, I might be privy to, but more than likely, there's a lot of conditions and situations around this building here today that I have absolutely no knowledge of, but I want to tell you that God knows about it. God, God, God knows about that situation. Come on, somebody. God knows about that situation. If it bothers you, it concerns God. If it bothers you, it concerns your God. But I'm going to tell you that God is going to squeeze everything out of our lives in the 21st century. He's not going to let one thing go to waste because he knows what's in us. He's going to extract the very best out of us because God saves the best for last. Clap your hands and give him praise. I really believe that here today. Why don't we go ahead and praise him a little bit for that? started my journey in this little study, the Holy Ghost began to start giving me scriptures that supported this. In the book of Joel, chapter number 2, verse number 23, be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. Now let me make, let me define this. The former rains are the rains of fall and winter. They are the rains of October, November, and December. Of course, if you live in Spokane, we got snow by then, but the former rains are during the late fall into the winter. The latter rains are the spotty rains of spring. It is not a deluge like October and November where it could rain for days. But biblically, the latter rains are spotty. They can have rays of sunshine penetrating through the clouds. They can have light on the ground. It can be raining here, and it can be perfectly dry two or three miles from here during the latter rains. It is, it is spotty. Next verse, verse number 24. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. That is not during the former rains. That is during the latter rains. Verse number 25. 
and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten and the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. What is God saying? God is saying, I am saving the best for the latter rain. It not be, might not be raining on your ground, but it's raining over here on my ground, and I'm going to experience fullness, and I'm going to restore the years. Let's praise him a little bit here this morning. Let's get into alignment here for a few moments. Let's get under that spout here this morning. Let's, let's pursue the latter rain. Let's pursue the sunshine coming through the clouds. Oh, I want to be part of the latter rain. Well, it's so easy to just casually throw a scripture out there from the book of Joel. Just what is the locust and the canker worm and the palmer worm? They were God's agents of chastisement for the nation of Israel. They brought a level of fruitlessness. In the book of Judges, God used their physical enemies to chastise them, most notably the Midianites. You remember Gideon, the mighty man of valor, it was the Midianites that saw from a distance, they saw the nation of Israel after the former rains and during the latter rains in preparation for harvest because latter rain was always right at the threshold of harvest. And it was during uh, the latter rains that they saw the crops. They saw all the effort. They saw, they saw all of the tillage. They saw the seed in the ground. They saw the stalks come up. And then the Midianites said, all right, boys, let's saddle up the donkeys. The harvest is there and let's go and get the harvest so that the nation of Israel did not enjoy the harvest. They went through the effort. They went through all the effort to have revival. They went through all the effort to have a move of God. But when it was just time for them to become the recipient, the enemy came in. Why? Because they were in idolatry. And God was using the enemy to come in and take the fruit as punishment for idolatry. But there's one man that's hiding a little bit behind the wine press, and God said, I think I can use this guy. I see him as a mighty man of valor. You're familiar with that story. So in other places, God uses insects to destroy the fruit of the ground. But once there has been repentance and once there has been restoration, God said, if you really repent... If you really repent, I'm going to restore to you the years that I had to use the enemy to take away your fruit and take away your blessing. I don't know about you today, but I know that my latter end is going to be greater than my beginning. God might have to chastise. God might have to use something. God might have to. Come on, somebody. 
I'm going to go ahead and get in alignment. I'm going to go ahead and get with God. I'm going to walk in my season, and I'm going to be restored the years that were lost in my fruitfulness. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. The latter end is greater than the beginning. You know what? We're not in a hurry today. Why don't we just lift our hands and just pray right now? There's somebody or somebody's. God is trying to let you know that just a small adjustment can turn this whole thing around and make living for God a joy again and putting purpose into every sunrise and putting content in your character and putting strength into your soul. Come on, let's pray. Somebody lift your voice for a minute. Let's really pray. God, by the authority of the name of Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We want the absolute will of God. We want the absolute word from God. If I was sitting where you are and somebody else was up here other than myself, or it could be by myself and I was just sitting where you are, I would say, God, I want the absolute will of God. I don't want to just go through a little Bible lesson. I don't want to go through just some little deal today. I know, I know that all of us have had uh, a good time of fellowship and food, and it's been Thanksgiving, and it's, and it's a great celebratory time of the year in which we can reflect, and we've been, we've been doing a lot, and we've been, we've been eating a lot, and we've been fellowshipping a lot, but, but, but I want something from God. I, 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 I want to go higher. I, I want to go to another place. I, I want to know that my ladder end is going to be greater than my beginning. I, I want to know that God's got a greater plan for me in the end than he does where I'm at right now because right now I might be getting the idols out. Right now I might be adjusting for repentance. Right now I might be looking for my altar. Right now I might be looking for God and I need hope. Hope. The book of Haggai. Now this minor prophet's name just makes me grin. Haggai. Second shortest book in the entirety of the Old Testament. Obadidim or Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's one chapter. Haggai is two short chapters. Now, in order for this to be valid, you've got to get some background. You've got to lay some groundwork. And Haggai was a minor prophet to those that were coming back from Babylonian captivity. It's post-exile. His contemporaries are Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel. But Haggai is unique 
Because you might remember the famous scripture in the book of Ezra, after their captivity, God never intended for his people to go into captivity again, but nonetheless, there they were. They went into Babylonian captivity. Um, whatever they left with, they had to ask to borrow. We're going to get into that in just a minute because it's powerful, powerful reality there. But the nation of Israel has now gone back, and they are in rebuild mode. You remember in the book of Nehemiah, they rebuilt the wall, and then in the book of Ezra, they laid the foundation. But in Ezra chapter number 4, when they laid the foundation, there was an entire generation that remembered the glory of the previous temple. Haggai was in that group. He was an elder. And they remembered the glory of Solomon's temple. And when they saw the foundation being laid, one generation wept. And the younger generation rejoiced. So that it was so loud and such a cacophony of confusion that one could not tell whether it was weeping or rejoicing. The book of Haggai is where he's a minor prophet that begins almost to rebuke the nation of Israel because they were rebuilding their homes, but they're not spending any time on rebuilding the temple. And he basically says that. He says that, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your stuff, but nobody's taking care of the temple. And so they go back to rebuilding the temple, but they are building this temple. I know it sounds amazing, but it's true. They literally had to borrow the resources or ask for donations in Babylon before they made the trek home to use in the, in the temple. So there was absolutely no way that this temple was going to have the majesty and the value and the absolute splendor of Solomon's temple. But Haggai arrives on the scene with a word of encouragement. Haggai chapter number 2 and verse number 6 I'm sorry, verse number eight and nine. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, silver was not even used in Solomon's temple. During the time of Solomon, there's a scripture in the Bible in 2 Chronicles that said the silver is worthless. The only thing that could be used in Solomon's temple was gold, which is a type of holiness. It's a type of purity in the New Testament. And God is already letting these 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 ex-captives know. Don't worry about it. You don't have all the resources, all the gold and all the silver is mine. But this is the prophecy in verse number nine that Haggai gave. And it simply says this. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. I believe that this prophecy was given 
to let the nation of Israel going in their struggle, the struggle to do something significant, to do something worthwhile, the rebuilding of the temple. And I know we don't have all the great resources that we did when Solomon built this, but this is the best that we can do. And I believe God was saying, just do your best with what you've got because the glory of the latter house. Now, this is what I'm trying to preach to this great congregation here this morning, that God always saves the best for last. There are, there are innumerable people under the sound of my voice that are saying, you know what, Pastor, if you would have known me when I first got saved and, and I had a Bible study chart and I was on fire for God and, and, and I was really doing something for God and, and I'm just sitting here today. I want to tell you, if you can get in alignment, if you can get in alignment with God, God is going to make sure that your latter end is greater than your beginning. It is the will of God. It is a principle of the word of God. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is going to do something in your end that's going to absolutely be greater than your beginning. Clap your hand and give God the praise. I really believe this. I really believe that God is going to do something greater in the end that he did in the beginning. You're sitting on those lovely pews that have lumbar support, and everybody that needs lumbar support say amen. Thank God for lumbar support. My wife and I were talking when we were ordering these pews and we were jokingly said, you know, you do realize that people may not want to stand up all the time like we do in apostolic churches because it's so comfortable to sit down. That's perfectly fine as long as you're getting what God has for you today. But you are sitting in a home missions church. And, and, and it doesn't look like home missions. I know that. Because I was there when we started this church, and we were baptizing people in a horse trough um, in a garage with neighbors that were very normal that thought that we were a cult. They had people that just moved here from California saying, let it go, let it go. No, that's the Holy Ghost, let it go, let it go, let it go. They had their ear to the wall saying, what's, what's happened to the neighborhood? Honey, we just moved in next door. They seem like nice people. Their kids are sweet. My son was three. He was sweet when he was three. He's still sweet, but he's a lot older than that. And my daughter was one year old, and my neighbors were just, man, they were just such a nice couple, and they just seemed like such nice people. And now it's, that's it, that's it, that's the Holy Ghost, that's the Spirit of God. In fact, I think someone's going to go down in water today. Why? Because your latter end is going to be greater than your beginning. You think, you know what, I've lived my life, I've made a mess of things, and God is saying, when I get a hold of it, the latter end is going to be greater than the former. 
Somebody clap your hand. Somebody give him praise. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Somebody scream, devil. God's not done. Stand to your feet and yell, devil. God's not done. Devil, you might have had yesterday, you might have had last month, you might have had the last year, but you ain't getting tomorrow. You're not getting the next decade. You're not getting. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. God always saves the best for last. Come on, somebody shout and give him praise. You're thinking I'm in pretty sad shape. Yeah, but look at the end of the book. You've got a robe that glistens. Let's just take a moment and give him praise right now. You can't look at where you're at right now and say, well, this is where I'm at, and this is where it's going to end, and this is, this is the end of the story, and this is where the author leads me. No, 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 no. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher. He is the author and the finisher, and he believes in great endings. He believes in a greater ending than your beginning. My God, somebody shout. You may be seated. If this message lacks a lot of finesse and homiletical sheen, you're just going to have to forgive me because I just got my I just got my gospel shotgun, and I'm I'm blowing the devil to smithereens around this building today. Because the devil's trying to tell this one, it ain't over, don't even try it. He's trying to tell this one over here, you might as well park it, the party's over. He's telling this one over here, I've already done A, B, C, and it's all done. Honey, that ain't the God I serve. He is the author and the finisher. He's the author and the finisher. Oh, let's do it one more time. Somebody give God praise. I'm trying to preach faith into somebody. I'm trying to preach hope into somebody. You can't, you can't, you can't look at where you're at right now and say this is the way it's going to be. No, 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 no. God always saves the best for last. Once you learn that, like if you, if you can get this and make this part of your epistemology as an apostolic believer, you will learn there's going to be down days. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be situations. There's going to be tests. There's going to be trials. There's going to be temptations. 
But even the Bible says that after you've been tempted a while, God knows how to establish you. And when God establishes you, you're not in a lower position. You're in, my God, I feel it coming on me right now. You're higher than when you started that trial. Well, we want a form of Christianity that is not going to get down that deep. I still want to say so in my life. You can't be, you can't have truth and say this is my life. See, you were bought with the price. You were bought with the precious price of blood. You have to say, you know what? What I think is a talent may actually be a stumbling block for God. So you can have my intellect. You can have my education. You can have my ability. You can have what I think. I want what God thinks. God is the one that picks and chooses what he's going to use in my life. And if it's a process to minimize certain things and elevate patience, elevate faith, elevate the love of God. Somebody help me out right now. Your latter end is designed to be greater than when you're at right now. Somebody shout. Somebody lift your voice. Somebody give him praise. God is going to save the best for last. Yeah. Yeah. This church, this congregation started in a room that was about the size of this piece of carpet here in the center. 700 square feet. But I got an understanding early on as a new convert that God is not going to leave me in my dilemma. God is not going to leave me in my prison. Do a Brother Cody Marks on it. It doesn't work for me. It only works for him. If God has allowed you to be incarcerated, he's not going to leave you there. You know, there is a long history of prisons and prisoners in the Word of God. And some of the prisons of the, the ancient world are extremely famous. If God allows you to spend a little time in a prison... The quicker that you learn that I will not be in here forever, the quicker you can enjoy where you're at. Man, how in the world am I supposed to? This pastor, pastor, have you been smoking stuff? You know, it's legal. Honey, what might be legal is not necessarily good. Not all things are expedient. There are, when the Holy Ghost fills an individual, there is, a, there is a program that's worked out between that individual and the Holy Ghost where some things that you're not tempted with, but they're temptations to me, I have to draw a line there if I'm going to continue to grow. 
Somebody help me out over here. And if I'll continue to live inside those, those, those they're not God-imposed, I have to be willing. I have to agree to this. And if I allow God, I'm establishing a fence there. I'm not going over there anymore. I'm establishing this. I'm not listening to that any, anymore. And I continue to live in this. Then I will go up. I will not be going on some never-ending platitude of existence. But I'm going to go up. I'll go higher. Because they that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The devil was telling me, this is it. You got this little 700-square-foot office suite. You got a few people in this building. This is it. That was 27 years ago. I'm doing this for a reason. This, this is probably more just to let the enemy know that I've already gotten a clue See, the reason why home missionaries give up is because they think, well, this is it. This is it. If you're watching this, this is being live streamed and you're a home missionary, listen to this home missionary. I am your friend. Do not give up. Because if you could see six months from now, if you could see a year from now, if you could see two years from now, but see, that's part of the equation. God God does not reveal that because that could affect where I am right now. And God wants you to go through this by saying, I'm going through this valley right now, but it ain't, it's, it's, it's got an ending. Hallelujah. The weeping endure for a night. It's got a beginning and it's got an ending. It ain't going to be a year from now. It's not going to be six months from now. I may be weeping right now, but I'm going to be dancing on the devil's neck. When I come out of this, I'm going to be a tailor-made devil chaser that's going to shake nations. Somebody lift your voice. Somebody give God the praise. Somebody give God the glory. God is saving the best for last. Our little building, 700 square feet. It only held about, we had to change the seating arrangement to get more chairs in there. At our first service, we had 25 chairs. Today, we're in a building that seats almost 1,000. Pastor, why are you telling us all this? Because I want the devil to know. We got out of that one. We got out of that one. God got me through that one. God got me through that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one. And God will get me through the next one and the one after that and the one after that because God is saving the best. Somebody go ahead and clap your hands. Go ahead and lift your voice. Go ahead and give him praise. God is the author and the finisher. Haggai said the glory of the latter house. 
The latter house started in a manger when the Almighty God took on flesh. And I believe that it extended all the way to the day of Pentecost. That ye are now the temple of God. Let's lift our hands and let's just let's just talk to Jesus. The glory of the latter house. Whose house are ye? Another figure in the Bible that really brings this to life, this 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 truth, this reality, this 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 maxim, this truism. The Apostle Paul was not always the Apostle Paul. At one time, he was Saul. And Saul viewed Christianity and Christians as being part of the enemy to the degree that he would consign entire families to prison, was consenting unto Stephen's death, according to Acts chapter 7, and probably many others' deaths, all thinking that he was in the will of God. But he made some incredible statements on this side of Christianity. Look at this amazing scripture with me in the book of Galatians, chapter number 15 and 16. Look at this. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Just stop right there, Andrew. You're kidding me. Historians tell us that while he was on the road to Damascus, he was 30 years of age before he got knocked to the ground. And God could finally get a hold of him once he got knocked off his horse. But yet here in the book of Galatians chapter number one, he is saying that God called me from my mother's womb. Very interesting. Look at, look at the next verse, verse 16. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Go to 1 Timothy, because this will put an addendum on this. 
Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life after lesson. For, for 30 years, God let Saul do whatever he wanted to do. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, considered to be one of the most brilliant men that ever lived, had an incredible acumen and grasp of literature, world events, and fused them all together under an anointing that shook the known world. But here he's saying, for 30 years, God let me do what I wanted to do. And then at 30 years of age, after actually harming people, after actually probably consenting to people's death, that he called me now to be a pattern for others that will believe on him unto life everlasting. When I look over my life, I was 30 years old when I got saved. When I looked over the first 30 years of age, And the multitude of times that I woke up not even knowing how I got home. Not even knowing where the car was parked. Not even knowing, did I hurt somebody? Did I, did I hit somebody? I, I thought that because I had three drunk driving. Two of them were head-on collisions. I didn't even own a driver's license for my, my last year before I got saved. Why did God let me go through all that before God knocked me off of my horse and I finally saw the light and heard a voice? Because God was going to use Paul to now reach others that had lived their lives in contradiction to the word of God to say, I know just where you're at. I know just where you're at. You think right now everything's going fine? You think you're doing your own thing right now? There's going to be a time when God's going to knock you off that horse. Now he's going to use you to preach to your generation and say, God, save the best for last. I might have lived for the devil the first 30 years, but I'm going to live for God the last 30. Clap your hands and give him praise. I might have been hedonistic. I might have been selfish. I might have done whatever I wanted to do, but I'm going to live the balance of my days for God. Clap your hands and give him real praise. I'm almost done. But I'm trying to show you conclusively where God saves the best for last. So you can't look at your, your occupation and say, that's what defines me. You can't look at your stuff and say, this is what defines me. You can't look at your misery and say, this is what defines me. You have to say, God has a plan. And God loves it when somebody accepts the fact that my latter end is going to be greater than my 
beginning. My next chapter is going to be greater than the last chapter. My next month is going to be greater than this month. Because that's how God works. It's a principle in the world. Oh, somebody. Let's lift our hands and just, God, I'm getting a hold of this today. God, you may have to lift me up by the bootstraps, but I'm, I'm hooking my wagon up to this today. Let's just p- pray for a few moments. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's an incredible scripture. You don't have to turn there, Brother Andrew, because it's not on the list I gave you. There's an amazing scripture that said the law was given by Moses. It's in John chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And grace for grace. See, grace, grace is not some theological point that's become a denominational football in which anybody claims to have a better grasp and a better understanding. Grace is the opportunity to become. The law was given by Moses. Okay, that's the basis of the Mosaic Covenant. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ and grace for grace. That word grace there means unmerited favor, which means that if I will give God favor in my life, then I can get more favor from God. Like, if God's been convicting you to get rid of that pack of cigarettes that's hiding in your glove box, and you finally say, God, I know this is, I, I, I just know this is wrong. Here it is. I'm getting rid of it. Now you have, you have created, for lack of a better phrase, room, space, a place. And now grace can now work in an area that's never worked. Maybe you're hooked on pornography sitting here today and you're condemned and you can't really even absorb anything spiritually out of this service today because that's hanging over you like a shadow of shame and guilt. If you'll say, you know what? This is the last day I'll ever go to that site. This is the last day I'll ever do this again. Now you've created a place for more grace. Now you can become what God promised you, what God said said to you what God has hoped for and your latter end can be greater than your former beginning. See, the carnal mind thinks that grace is on a continuum. There's a reciprocity that God built into this in your life. That is the word of God is revealed to you and it's revealed to something in your life that you would go through the process, regardless if it takes a day, a week, a month, a year, some things can be deeply rooted in your past and in your childhood that might require a bigger tool from God. But once you set your will against it and you said, God, this is not gonna dominate my life, my God, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you that have been abused in your childhood, you can't say this is just the way I'm gonna be, I'm damaged good. No, God has saved the best for last. And God says, where you were abused, you're gonna be anointed. going to bear fruit. You're going to have power in the Holy Ghost in that area of woundedness in your life. Clap your hands and give him praise.
Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. He is the author and he is the finisher. Well, pastor, I've messed up. Okay. I understand messing up. I understand people that make mistakes. I understand people that live in their mistakes. But you have to understand something. There's a little unique detail about this that is built into the gospel. Can you go to Romans chapter 5, verse number 20 for the pastor? I want you to look at this. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, while you're sitting here full of condemnation and pain and guilt, grace is five steps ahead of you saying if we can get this thing rectified, there's not only another chance. There's another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance, and you're going to finally get there, but you're going to have to give it up to me because right in front of your mistake, grace is not going to be outdone by your sin. Grace is not going to be outdone by your flaw. Grace is not going to be done by a mistake that you've made. Grace is always in front of it saying, come on, I can use it to make you greater. I can use it to make you better. I can convert your mistake into ministry. Clap your hands and give God the pray. God is saving the best. Let's just lift our hands and thank him. I'm almost done, I promise. I promise, I promise, I promise I'm almost done. I'm doing my best to follow this thing to the very end. Now let's pray a little bit. Let's pray a little bit. Grace is always there saying, get up. Get back up. I'm not going to leave you this way. This is not going to be your ending. This is not going to be your prologue, your epilogue. I didn't call you out to leave you there. I called you out to take you in. See, we want it on our terms. And when we do that, we obfuscate. Everybody say obfuscate. That is a million-dollar word that I saw in a dictionary. I said, man, how many use that word? What does it mean? It means to hinder, to plug up like a clogged drain. We can get all messed up on our mistakes to where even if grace is speaking to us. I'm trying to follow this thing. There's a lot of people under the sound of my voice that God is not going to leave you there if you'll follow him. Let's lift our hands one more time. God sees you through the lens of perfection. 
but he also sees you through the lens of reality and knows, knows what you're needing. I gotta have, I gotta have grace to get back up. Grace to put my gospel shoes back on. Grace to take another step. Grace to square my shoulders. Grace to hold my head up. God is saving the best for last. There are three things that I think that this congregation is going to see. I don't know when. But I believe that there are three things that we are going to see as a congregation. I believe that there is going to be in the entire denominational, ecumenical, non-denominational, and everybody else, that there is going to be an increased awareness of the verity and the authenticity of the name of Jesus. If you're sitting here today visiting us and you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, you were, you were baptized historically, not biblically. Historically, titles in the Father, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost was a historical development that was championed and galvanized by the Catholic Church. But the apostolic church baptized exclusively, even to this day, in the name of Jesus. I believe that the verity, the authenticity, and the verity of the name of Jesus is going to become a deal in all of Christendom. Number two, I believe we're going to have a revival of backsliders. And I don't like the term, hey, man, you're a backslider. That doesn't even sound good. I'm just saying that because I believe we're going to see it. Just people that are floating out there. They're God's missing children. If they were baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, they do not belong to the devil. They do not belong in hell. Do you hear me tonight, today? They do not belong in hell. They belong right here with you and I, dancing and shouting and running and giving God the praise. I'm coming against every lying devil that wants to criticize and put people down. Let's lift our voice and pray for them that they can see the light and wrap their arms around grace. I believe we're going to see a revival. People coming home. Number three, I believe we're going to see a progressive, a progressive movement of the supernatural. Pastor, how come we're not seeing it now? Well, it's a complicated answer. But just like grace, if you need fresh grace, something's got to go. Because you'll get grace for grace. You give God favor, and you get favor. But I believe the apostolic church in the end time is going to have a revival of self-awareness. And we're just going to come to the place of realizing there's some stuff we do not need to have a move of God. In fact, if you cannot pray with your iPhone off, let's make that a New Year's resolution. I will never pray again 
checking every five minutes to see if I have a message from another person when Jesus wants to talk to me. Is that all right? This is what I'm talking about. You want a movement of the supernatural? It's got to be everything God. It's got to be everything all the time. Gee, well, that's, that's fanaticism. Honey, that's what I'm after. You're listening to a fanatic. You're listening to somebody that is passionately pursuing this with everything I've got because I believe it is God saving the best for last. Clap your hands and give God the praise. There might be something you need to lay down. There might be something God's trying to convince you of. There might be something you really don't need. You think you need it. And God's saying, no, no, no. I've got something better, something deeper, something richer, something more glorious. Let me make those kind of adjustments. I think you're going to see a progressive move of the supernatural. One more time, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. Hiyalamakata <laughs> Brother Andrew, you still with me up there? Go to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 14. Verse number 17. Verse number 17, please. And it shall come to pass when? When's that? When's that? I believe that if we'll come to this building expecting it, that we will progressively have greater moves of God from week to week to week to week because God saves the best for last. You know, I often wondered why did God use a guy like Peter? The greater question is why did Satan want Peter? I'll tell you why. Because in the beginning... Peter was getting revelations that the other guys weren't getting. Peter was the first one out of the boat. He was not afraid to move out into the supernatural. Everybody else was afraid. He just said, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. Okay, get out here. He was the only mortal to ever take a step and walk on water besides Jesus, ever, ever, ever. He got a revelation of the identity of Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18, 19, and 20. But Peter had a lot of stuff in there. He had an ability to grasp revelation. He wasn't afraid to pursue the supernatural, but he had a lot of other stuff in there. He was impetuous. He got angry. Cut off Malchus's ear, which could have sent him to the death chamber. Jesus said, I'm going to fix your mistakes. 
You out there today? You're thinking, man, I can't preach. I got a revelation that Peter probably avoided barnyards for the rest of his life. Because nobody likes to be reminded of your failures. But every time there was a rooster that crowed, Peter probably ooh, just winced a little bit. Oh. Y'all with me out there? This is the matinee special. There ain't nothing after this. This is the best that I could get, just a couple corn husks and a washboard, and I'm doing my best to preach to you today. But Peter was, Peter was a mess. And you know the story. Warming himself by the fire, he denied the Lord and then threw in a couple choice words of profanity just to make sure that, oh, I ain't one of those good Christian people been hanging out with Jesus. Can you believe that Jesus, when he called him to the fire, he said, Peter, lovest thou me? Jesus will always give you an opportunity to not just prove to him. He knew that Peter was in a great moment of duress and personal weakness. That wasn't really where Peter was at. Jesus will always give you the opportunity to prove you really do love him no matter how bad you messed up. I can hear the other disciples. Jesus ain't going to use some backslidden, cussing preacher to preach Pentecost. Man, he's, he's messed up. He's done lost the keys, and it's over for Peter. But on the day of Pentecost... Peter said, in the last days, I really believe God saved the best for last. And Peter preached a convicting message to the point where they said, they were convicted in their hearts, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They had the gospel sword thrust into their heart. Peter, we've messed up. We crucified our Lord and Savior. Any help for us? <laughs> I'm glad you guys asked. I know just how you feel. But if you'll repent and baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It took one to reach one. Let's stand and let's lift our hands and give God the praise. I think it's, I think, I'd like to see somebody get the Holy Ghost today. I'd like to see somebody get baptized in Jesus' name today and let the devil know you had all these years in my life, but now God's going to get me. And the end's going to be greater than the beginning. And the latter end's going to be greater than the former. And my blessing in the ending is going to be greater than the curses in my beginning. Come on, somebody, lift your hands. Let's give God the praise. Your latter days are going to be greater, 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 greater. 
greater, 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 greater. This altar is open. I strongly recommend that maybe you invite somebody down to this altar today and say, you know, God really can make something very beautiful right now. Starting today, something powerful, something wonderful. Come on, bring somebody by the hand and invite them down here today in the name of Jesus. God's not going to leave you like this. He's the author and the finisher. He that has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of his appearing. Let's, let's lift our hands on this altar and give him great praise. Come on, Cornerstone, help us pray. Come and help us pray with some of these in Jesus' name. You are here turning lives around. I worship you. Come on, God's not going to leave me. I worship you. Oh, Jesus. You are 